radio host, physician, and nutritionist Victor Lindlar was instrumental in bringing this phrase to the public consciousness of the American culture. You may be asking, well, what phrase are you talking about? It's a phrase that you're very familiar with, and the phrase is this, you are what you eat. I'm sure you've heard that, haven't you? You are what you eat. Now, you think, man, Greg, that is an awful thing for us to think about on Agape Feast Sunday. You know, you are what you eat. But I can promise you this. There are no food Nazis here, okay? Nobody's going to be eyeing you as you walk by with your full plate trying to determine who you are by what you're eating. Uh, But however, on the other point, the sharing of a common meal and the choices that you make for your plate does serve, and it will serve today, as a poignant illustration that we truly are what we spiritually eat. We truly are what we spiritually eat. Now, as you recall, our text this morning contains the fourth and final commandment of Peter to his readers. That be, This section begins in chapter 1 and verse 13 and goes through chapter 2 and verse 3. Within that section, there are four commands, four imperatives. The first two imperatives are imperatives to the individual believer. The last two imperatives has to do with the community. Uh, how we respond to one another. It, it, it's a command that's given to, uh, as it relates to our relationship with one, with one another as a community. And so we have these four commands, and these commands are regarding how as believers we are to live out our, our identity as the chosen of God, even and especially under difficult circumstances. You're familiar, surely by now, as we've gone through this, with the circumstances that are taking place here. These believers, probably primarily Jews, have been taken, forcibly taken from their home in Rome. They've been placed by the Roman government into Asia Minor. They've been scattered. They've lost lost the, the ability to fellowship as a community because they've been scattered all throughout that time. They've lost their jobs. Uh, They've lost their connections, and here they are. Peter is writing to them and encouraging them and reminding them of their identity, of who they are and how how that should be demonstrated, how that should be unpacked in their life, even though they're going through these difficult circumstances. This fourth and final command is found there in verse 2. It's the word uh, epipatheo, and it's translated in ESV this way, long for, long for. And we, we've kind of been using the word crave. It has the word of crave, has the idea of desire. And the command is found, and the command states basically that as believers, we are to long for and crave the pure spiritual milk. Now, as we looked at this text last week, we said that there are two prerequisites that were crucial for us if we're going to understand what Peter is talking about here. The first thing we talked about was the fact that we have to understand the flow of the text. And again, I know the print is small here, but, uh, but you, you know, as we go through the text, you can see it. Uh, if you were to kind of put this in a, in a logical way, is how uh, 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 Peter's uh, writing this out in a logical sense, it would start this way. Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, where Peter's quoting from Psalm 34, Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, because this is the reality of who you are, because of the fact that you have a relationship, you have experienced the Lord Jesus Christ, then follows the command. It's the logical choice. 
It's the reasonable thing to do because you have experienced the Lord. You have tasted, you have seen that the Lord is good. And because of that, Peter makes the command that we, he's talking again to these last two commands, deal with our life within the community. We are to crave the pure spiritual milk. And then he says how? You crave the pure spiritual milk, first of all, by getting rid of. And three times he says all, all, all. All malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. And that word all there ties to all of that. So all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. That's how you crave the spiritual milk. You get rid of some things first. You get rid of some things first. And then he says you crave the spiritual milk by, by longing for it like newborn infants. Like newborn infancy. He uses a simile here that tells us what, it sh- what, what, what should be our motivation. What should it look like? What does really craving the Spirit... Wh- how can we see that? How can we quantify that in our life to make sure that we're doing that? And then he gives the reason. So that. Crave the spiritual milk so that here's the aim, here's the goal, here's the purpose that by it you may grow into salvation. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So we said, so that's the first thing. The second thing is we said you need to identify the object of the craving. Well, you we can go into the text, and the object of the craving is simply this, the pure spiritual milk. Well, what is the pure spiritual milk? We talked to you last week that it is not an exclusive reference to God's Word. It certainly does include God's Word, but it's not an exclusive reference because the, the times where you find the milk of the word being talked about, we saw it in Hebrews, we saw it in Corinthians, that usually it has a negative connotation. He, he, uh, the writer, uh, Paul, talks about that you're still, you're worldly, you're fleshly. I should have been teaching you uh, the things, uh, the, the deeper things of God, but we've got to go back to the milk. And, and then the, the writer of Hebrews says, you're immature. You're immature. And so we said, that's not what Peter's talking about here. Because Peter is talking about something that all believers... It's in, it's, this is something essential for all believers. And so when, Paul ta- when, when Peter's talking about this, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's quoting from Psalm 34. We looked at Psalm 34, and that gave us the understanding of what he means here. And, and as we said, it's not an exclusive reference to God's Word. It certainly, can include, it certainly does include that. But based upon the fact that Peter is using Psalm 34... What he's talking about, what is the pure spiritual milk? It's the Lord God himself. As you look at Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's the Lord God himself and his life-sustaining grace. Because when, as Jubal read Psalm 34 this morning, God's delivered us from shame. He's delivered us from want. He, he hears and he answers our prayers. Uh, he, 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 delivers, he delivers us from fear. And, 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 and what, what is that? That's God's work of grace in our life day in and day out. As, as Hannah shared with us this morning, the fears as, as they were going through COVID and some things, what, that's God sustaining grace in her life, helping her and, 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 and growing her and maturing her in Christ. And so this, this pure spiritual milk is not, not the Word of God. It certainly includes that. But this pure spiritual milk that we are to crave for is God Himself and the life-sustaining grace that we have in Christ and ministered by the Spirit. 
And Peter insists, he insists that this milk is a necessity for all believers. No matter how long you've been a believer, it's a necessity. We still need to crave the spiritual milk. It's the experience, because of the experience of our new reality in Christ through his imperishable seed that Peter talks about earlier in this book, that new, that new reality of life requires a sustenance that is true to our new nature. Because of who we are, our appetite, what we need to grow changes. And what we need is God and His sustaining grace. So, what's the process? What's the process of fulfilling this command? How do we go about craving how do we go about fulfilling this, fulfilling this command? And what is the purpose? What's, what's the goal or aim of the command? Well, as we already shown when we look through the, how, the, how the, the, the flow of thought that Peter uses here, the, 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 the process is a twofold process. It's kind of a, a put-off, put-on. A put-off, put-on. And the first thing is we crave by first getting rid of. If, look back, if you would, in verse 1. He says, so put away. Put away. The word there is apatathemai. And it's, and, and it's important. It's the first word in the Greek text. It's middle voice and it's plural. And all three of those things are important. Because it's the first word, again, uh, word order doesn't really mean anything in the Greek text But what, what, as far as translating. But what it does mean is what the writer is emphasizing. He uses word order to emphasize where the word's found in the clause. Is at the beginning? Is it the end? And here you have the first. First is first. He's emphasizing. It's middle voice, which means we're expected to do this. This is something that we as a community, we as a, this just, yeah, we need to do this individually, but this is something, this text is talking about life within the community, that we as a community need to make sure that we are doing. You're going to hear that a lot today. We, 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 all the way home, okay? Uh, you're going to hear that a lot today. What we are to do, and it's, again, plural. So the sense, there's the idea of we. It's plural. All these yous, as good Texans, y'alls, okay? Just put y'all in there, okay? These yous are y'alls. All these yous are plural. They're all plural. Don't, don't read them as singular. They're all, they're all, y'all, they're, y'all, they're, y'all plural, okay? However, that, that didn't come out too well, but, but, but it's plural, y'all, okay? All the, all the user y'alls are the plural. So that's what's going on here. Again, the context, the context of this command instructs believers how they are to live in community. Again, remember the third command in chapter 1 and verse 22? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, the third command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love one another. Love one another. That's the third command. Again, it's within the context of community. The fourth command, we are to, we are to love one another and we are to crave the spiritual nourishment that nurtures a vital Christian community. So we had the individual commands of hoping. We had the individual commands that are found earlier in the text. But now, as a community, we are commanded to love one another and we are commanded to long for the spiritual nourishment that will make 
our community a vital, growing, healthy community. And verse 1 unpacks how we love one another. Because all these vices that are listed in verse 1 are vices that destroy relationships and community. Uh, These vices are not just something that Peter picks randomly out of the air. These vices are all vices that have to do with how we relate to one another. Because basically what Peter is saying is salvation ought to change how you treat other people. Just as we heard the testimony this morning of Adeline, you know. Salvation ought to change how we treat other people, especially those of the household of faith. Especially those of the household of faith. So, what are we to do? Again, the idea of this word, it is a strong term. It is a strong term for dispensing with something undesired. Again, the EST, uh, ESV says, so put away. Get rid of it. You know, I don't, have you ever had the incident where maybe a child or a, a dog or something brought something to you that really you didn't want around, maybe a dead animal, you know? Or, I know when we were in Colorado, a snowball. Uh, uh, they've got two adult dogs, and, and Snowball's the female, uh, Great Pyrenees. And she brought some. she was out in that ranch somewhere, and she brought back, I mean, it smelled awful. It was something dead. And you know what the idea was when, when we got, get rid of it. You know, find something, get rid of it. Do whatever you got to do to get rid of it. Bury it, throw it away, you know, you know wrap it in a, a, a bag and, and take it on the other side of the mountain. Do whatever you got to do to get rid of it. To get rid of it. That's the force. That's the intensity. That's the passion of this word. Do whatever you have to do. To get rid of it. To get rid of it. Also, Peter is affirming a condition that must be met to fulfill the command. In other words, if you don't do this, you're not going to be able to crave the spiritual milk. Or you could translate it this way. After putting off or after getting rid of, crave. This comes first. This comes first, is that intense desire as a community to make sure these vices have no place or room within the, within the, within the community. So, what, how, how do we deal with it? What, what's going on here? Well, again, verse 1 unpacks how, and let's look at verse 1. So, put away all malice all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Five things. He mentions five things. And notice, we, we are all, we are to get rid of all of it. We, we. So put away. It's plural. Y'all put this away. Y'all Get rid of this. And what you all need to get rid of is all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. 
All of these have to do with relationship and community killers. Relationship and community killers. Think about it. Again, we don't have time to do in-depth word studies on these things, but malice, ill will towards other people. Ill will towards other people. I mean, that'll kill a relationship, won't it? That'll kill a church, won't it? Ill will towards other people. Deceit. Speaking or active with an ulterior motive. Anything less than speaking the truth. What Jonathan mentioned earlier, we talked about it with their kids. They don't want to do a bait and switch. You know, that, that's deceitful. That's deceitful. And as, I mean, if you're trying to gain people to the gospel by deceit, what do you think when you talk to them after they've gotten saved and you talk about deceit, what they're going to be thinking? We've got to get rid of all deceit. All deceit. We, we, we don't act with an ulterior motive. We don't speak with an all-interior motive. Anything less than speaking the full truth is simply unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Hypocrisy. The idea of pretense or deception. Uh, you know, it, it's like you know, saying one thing to somebody's face and saying one thing to their back. One thing while they're there... You know, grinning while they're there and putting your hand out and welcoming, and the minute they turn around going, you know, hypocrisy. He talks about envy, hateful attitude towards others, jealousy, where the, you know, uh, you know they think there's, you know, and, and, and this, this, this envy that we have towards other people, and slander. Speech that denigrates someone else. And, you know, you can get real adept at putting somebody down in a nice, with a smile on your face. You know what? We can get real adept at, 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 at cutting somebody, and in some ways they don't even really know they've been insulted. Human beings, we, we, have, we have a marvelous ability, you know, marvelous in quotes, a marvelous ability to be able to do that. And Peter says that, that the command is for us to crave the pure spiritual milk. And the only way that's going to happen is, is as a community, we all have to get rid of all these things. That we have to be, on, we have to be diligent. We have to have our heads on a swivel. We need to make sure that there is no malice. That there, that there is no deceit, that there is no hypocrisy, that there is no envy, and that there is no slander. But the thing is, as, as, as human beings who still, even after we become believers, are still affected by our depravity and, and twisted and tainted by it, those things crop up in our lives. And those things happen. And so the community is the place where we, where we lovingly and gently, but, but at the same time firmly, be able to help people so they can get rid of that. And we, we learn how to forgive and we learn how to ask for forgiveness. But we want to make sure that these qualities, these qualities don't exist because they will kill us. They will kill our community. They will kill our relationships. And Peter is telling this group of people, We've gone through these very difficult things. And, and who would be prone to some of these things? Because, you know, as you go through trials, it, it has a way of, 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 of showing those, those sharp edges in our lives that need to get smoothed over. And these sharp edges can come out. The process of fulfilling the command to crave 
begins by getting rid of the things that destroys relationships and community. And again, this is a communal responsibility. My responsibility towards this is exactly the same as yours. Yours is no different than mine because we're part of the same community. It's not, it's not a responsibility that rests solely upon the church leadership. It's not a responsibility that rests upon the staff or rests upon the deacons or deaconesses or the elders. Peter says, y'all get rid of it. Y'all get rid of it. It's all our responsibilities to protect the community and to protect the relationships that exist within this body of faith. And in order to crave the spiritual milk, that's the first thing that we have to make sure is that these things are not found. And if found, that we, we deal with them in a gracious and loving way so that restoration and forgiveness can occur. So first we get rid of, and then we crave like newborn infants. Again, look at verse 2. Well, let, let's start in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, what would you think would be the logical thing for Peter to write next? After he's told us to get rid of these vices, what would, you, what would be the logical thing to think about he, that he would add? Well, here's the virtues now. You, you get rid of these vices and you add these virtues. But Peter doesn't do that. Peter doesn't then give us a list of five uh, 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 balancing virtues, five positive virtues from the five that he's listed here. After Peter lists the vices that we are to get rid of, you would next expect a list of virtues. But look at what he says. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. What's Peter doing here? Well, after Peter lists the vices that we are to get rid of, then Peter doesn't point us to, okay, here's the don'ts. Now, here's, the, you know, here's your do's, here's your don'ts, here's your pharisaical list, okay? What Peter points us to is dependence upon God. That's what he points us to. Like newborn infants, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. As we deal with these things, as the works of the flesh become obvious... And we deal with those things in order for community and growth and uh, relationships to be, uh, to be encouraged and, and, and built and strengthened. It requires dependence upon God. I mean, why is that? Because some of you people are just hard to get along with. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, we're, we're, everybody's hard to get along with. You know, if you spend enough time, even with the person that you admire and respect the most in here, even after you, you get to spend some time with them, you know what I found with Lisa? The very things that attracted to me are the things that just agitated the snot out of me after we were married for a while. I don't know if that, if that happened with y'all. I mean, I mean, I'm the only weird one here, okay? I, I don't know. But the very things that attracted me to her, she's outgoing, she enjoys conversation, she, 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 when she talks, it's because she enjoys in, engaging with people. And I'm quiet. I'm the quiet one. I do all my talking on Sunday morning, and I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm done for the rest of the week. And, and she talks, and I love it because I don't have to. You know? But I like to listen. I enjoy listening. I enjoy asking questions 
and listening. But yeah, and I, I really liked that about her because it thought, you know, I, gosh, I don't have to talk. You know, just I'm sit there. That's great. I don't do anything. But eventually, that started irritating me. Shut up, woman, you know? We all have things that can irritate us. We all have those things that we have that we need dependence upon God. And now when I, I come back to appreciate God's grace and gifts in her life, I have marveled. I have marveled at how the Romaine's kids, I mean, they're, they're, at least they drew them like magnets. I mean, whoop, I mean, just whoop. I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite way. I mean, I'm not saying I pushed it, but I mean, they just, whoa, you know. And I marvel. I don't have that. I marvel at that. We, in order for us to be able, it takes, let me just say that. We have to have God for relationships to work. We have to. Because we're sinners bumping against sinners and we irritate each other sometimes. You just and then throw in kids. You know, now you got more little irritations here and there. So Peter points us to dependence upon God. And he, he likens it to infants. Think about it. Infants are incapable of self sufficiency. They're incapable of it. Infants are incapable of self-sufficiency in all things, but also in obtaining the necessary sustenance. If a baby is left to itself after it's born, a baby is going to die. Because the infant is incapable of obtaining sustenance for itself. can't do it. It can't do it. This simile not only pictures inability, we are in dependence upon God. If, if we are going to fulfill this command of craving the spiritual milk, we realize it's got, if, if, if God and His grace is what we're, going to, what we're going to lean upon, what is going to be our, our, our nourishment, then we recognize that we don't have the ability to be able to do it. But it also speaks of intensity. Think about it. How do infants crave? Infants crave instinctively. We had three children. Well, Lisa nursed all three. I was there when all three of them were born and stayed until it was time for her to go home. And not once after the baby was born, the babies were born, did a nurse come in and say, Now, little Bryson, little Grant, little Cassie, before I take you to your mama, let me instruct you on how this nursing thing is going to take place, okay? You're new into this world. You probably don't, you don't know anything. No, I mean, they nurse. It's instinctive. It's instinctive. They don't have to be taught. They know exactly what they need. They know who they're going to get it from. It's instinctive. They do it eagerly. You know, when your kids get older, sometimes they don't eat some, Here come, you know, y'all are done. Here comes the choo-choo. You know, here comes the choo-choo. Open the tunnel. You know, you know. You don't have to do that with an infant. And, and, and those little boogers, they're, they're insane. They seem like they're eating all the blessed time, don't they? All the blessed time. They want to eat. 
weekend when we were in Colorado, Snowball, uh, their, her puppies were about, about four or five weeks old. And it was fascinating watching those puppies. She's a, she, the mom is a great Pyrenees, the daddy's a Newfoundland. So these puppies are big. They're big puppies. And, and watching them, when Snowball would get in the, the birthing place that Cassie and them had built and to kind of keep the puppies in, but they're big enough now to escape it, how they would just go for her when it came time to nurse. And, and, and that's, what is, that's what's being talked about here. We are, are to crave God and His life-sustaining grace. Again, not only individually, but corporately. Where instinctively we recognize that what we need more than anything else is God Himself and His life-sustaining grace. We need God and we need His grace and it doesn't, everything else, yes, there's things that we need to do. There, there's, there's, there's plans that need to be made. There's actions that need to be taken. But if God and His life-sustaining grace is not the primary, the, the foundational thing, then we're spinning our wheels everywhere else. And eagerly, where it's not something where we're forced or that, that we come to this place, uh, again, Again, it's a corporate thing. I'm not, I'm not leaving out the individual, but a corporate, that when we come to this place, we come desiring God and God alone, that God will be praised, that God will be lifted up, that it'll be about God. Because He is worthy. He is awesome. He is gracious and merciful and beautiful and long-suffering and, and kind and just and righteous. And He is all we need. He's all we need, all we want. And so we eagerly come, and it's a place where His grace is displayed. As we have our confession and praise, usually He'll make the statement, an opportunity for us to share God's work of grace in our life so that we can encourage one another and strengthen one another. That God is at work in each of our lives and His grace is sustaining us. And, and whether that's through dark valleys or whether that's through great victories or whether that's through our struggles that we face or whether that's the exposure of sin, it's always an act of grace. Even when God exposes our sin, it's an act of His grace to save us from ourselves, from all the wrong decisions and, 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 and path that we're headed down, but also incessantly. Incessantly, where we just we we we've got to have it. If we don't have it, we're going to shrivel up. We're going to shrivel up. We must have it. God and His life-sustaining grace are are the only sustenance that will satisfy. And this sustenance has a goal or aim, and that's in the latter part. Verse 2, look back at our text in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Get rid of these things. And then, like newborn infants, long crave for the pure spiritual milk, for God and His life-sustaining grace. And the reason, it's a henna clause. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason. Here's the goal. Here's the aim. That by it, you may grow up 
into salvation. We crave by first getting rid of the vices that destroy relationships and community. We crave by then acknowledging our dependence upon God, looking to Him and His grace to sustain us like newborn babes crave their mother's milk. And the aim, the result, the goal is growth. Proper sustenance produces healthy growth and maturity. Proper sustenance produces healthy growth maturity. And that maturity is into salvation. He's already talking to believers. That maturity is into salvation. It's how we grow. We grow. How we mature. You see, whatever you're going through right now is not just for you. It's for me. It's for us. It's for us. When you face cancer, it's not just for you. It's for us. When your kids break your heart, it's not just for me. It's for us. When you're struggling and, and your faith is weak, it's not just for you. It's for us. Because as we meet and greet, and as we speak with each other throughout the week, it's that opportunity to interact with each other's lives, to relate with one another, and recognize that when you hurt, I hurt. And when you rejoice, I rejoice. And the comfort that God has comforted me with, I take that same comfort to be able to comfort you. And, and maybe you've walked this road before and, and you've gone through this. Or if nothing else, your heart breaks and you pray and you bring it before God. And then we begin to think how these things apply in our lives and God's goodness and God's grace and God's forbearance. And, and, and it's, it's not just... And, and that's why community is so important. Because when you separate yourself from the community... You separate yourself from the very people that God wants to work His grace to you in and through, the, through their life to you. Through you. To, through them to you. So we don't walk through these things alone. We don't experience these things alone. We don't isolate ourselves. Because it's a community thing. So that we grow. Yeah, individually, sure. Individual choices, yes. But again, and individual choices do affect the community. But in this context, he's talking about community. So that we grow up into salvation. Maybe, maybe that's a little bit of what Paul was talking about when he says he's going to present the church to them as a chaste bride. He wasn't talking about them individually. He was talking about them collectively. Collectively. We grow up into salvation. We need each other. I cannot be what God... How much God wants to form the image of Christ in my life. That image is going to be stunted if I separate myself from you. If I separate myself from you, it's going to be stunted. We need each other to grow to full maturity in Christ. That's why the church is important. 
that's why we can't just find a place and, and, and join some online church and, and feel good about everything. Because we need relationships. We need that bumpy so that we can grow. In just a few moments, we're going to sit down with plates, and let's be honest, probably full plates, okay? <laughs> with plates filled with tasty food of differing nutritional value. And again, the, the food Nazis are not going to be out there. I want you to take this opportunity that we're going to be doing in a few moments and think about this text and apply it while you're eating. When you take a bite and, man, you think, oh, man, man, that's good. That's good. Remember this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you done that? You know, if you know Christ as your Savior, you know exactly what that verse means, don't you? You've experienced Christ. You've experienced His comfort and His grace and His mercy. You've experienced His rod and His staff that comforts you. And you know what it means to have an experience with Christ and, 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 and to know that, that He is your all in all. And that happens because when one person puts their faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ, because none of us are acceptable for, before God. It, it doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't, you can get baptized to your skin puckers. And, and it's not going to do you any good. You can read the Bible from cover to cover every week. And that's a good thing to do. But that's not what's going to make you acceptable to God. You can give every dime you have. You can walk every aisle on every church that exists. But again, that doesn't make us acceptable to God. But because of God's love for those whom He made, He sent His Son. And the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, robed Himself in flesh. He added to Himself humanity. He became one of us and lived lives that we could never live a life of perfection before God. He, he never sinned in word, in thought, in action, in attitude, in motive. He fulfilled the law completely and, and offered up His righteousness as the sacrifice for my sin and your sin. And on that cross, He took God's wrath for me, for you. And when we recognize that we can't do anything to have a relationship with the Father. There's nothing that we can offer Him that He'll say that's good enough. But what we can do is run to Christ because His sacrifice, His death, satisfied the wrath and justice of God. And when we put our faith and trust in who Jesus is and what He accomplished on that cross, and we recognize that we are guilty before God. And we cry out to Him in repentance and faith. The Scripture says, 
we possess eternal life at that moment. At that moment. God now is my Father. That's the moment you taste and see that the Lord is good. So as you take that bite and as you're getting ready to thank that person or you're getting ready to say, who made this? Who, who, who? Man, this is good. This is good. Think about that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As you experience the nuances of flavor and textures, thank God for the myriad of experiences that He uses in your life to sustain and grow you by His grace. There'll be something be salty or sweet. I don't eat. I like. I don't mind coconut. Roasted, but I don't like coconut raw. Because I don't like the texture. First of all, to me, it doesn't have any taste. Might as well be eating a piece of cardboard, you know. And, and second, I, just, I don't like the texture. But there'll be there'll be textures that you'll taste. There'll be flavors that you taste. There'll, there'll be this variety. And when you think of, when, when, when as you're doing that, and as you're enjoying the fact that God gave us taste buds and and, and the ability to not just eat, but to enjoy what we're eating. Think about the fact that He uses all different kinds of experiences in your life to grow you by His grace. And not just us individually, but us corporately. The experiences that we go to together, the times that we, we, we cry with one another and that we, we, we uh, uh, encourage one another and that we laugh with one another and, and that we rejoice with one another. All those experiences are corporate experiences of God's grace that, that grow us and sustain us. And when you're full, and I pretty much can guess you're going to get full today, when you're full... Think about how God and His grace always and only genuinely satisfies. I'm going to get full. Hopefully not too full, okay? But I'm going to get full. I'm going to get satisfied. I like the word satiated. You know, you're going to get satiated. But you know what? Uh, Sometime tonight or for sure tomorrow... If I don't eat anything after that, I'm going to hear... It's time to fill up again. And God's grace and mercies are new every morning, but His grace and mercies fill us like nothing else can fill us. Nothing else can fill us. And finally, when you sit down and you begin to eat, and as you talk, and as you share, as you laugh, As you ponder, remember that the community we are experiencing just doesn't happen. We are a diverse group of people. We vote for different people for president. We come from different backgrounds. Some of us are from great states like Ohio. The rest of you, bless your heart, you know, I don't know where, where, you know, know, I feel sorry for you, okay? Okay. But we have different backgrounds, different tastes. We like different music. We have, uh, we, we have different ethnicities. We are different on the economic scale. What unites us is not the music. What unites us is not our, uh, our, our color of our skin. What unites us is not where we're, what region of the country that we're from. What unites us is the person of Jesus Christ. And true community results 
from a resolve to get rid of the vices that destroy it and depend upon God and His grace to build it through Christ by the Spirit. Through Christ by the Spirit. We don't have to agree politically. We don't have to agree on which economic system is the best system. We don't have to agree on which part of the country or which part of Texas is better. We don't have to agree on any of those issues and have community. Because we have Christ. We have Christ. And that's what unites us. You can't make it happen. But you want to make sure you get rid of the things that destroy it and depend upon God. Depend upon God and His grace as we long, as we crave the pure spiritual milk, God Himself and His life-sustaining grace to build it through Christ by the Spirit. And it's a joy when it happens. It is supernatural when it happens. I've told you guys for years, for years, my heart longs for the day when people will walk between these doors, look around and see who's here and say, what in the world unites these people? What in the world unites them? They're not the same. They don't think the same. They don't vote the same. What's the same? Our commitment to Christ and His Word. Commitment to Christ and His Word. Let's pray. Father, a joy to look into Your Word today. We thank You for its instruction. And Lord, we pray that You'd help us to resolve as a community to fulfill this command. It's a command that we are been given to as a group. Yes, individually, but as a group. And Lord, we pray that You'd help us to do so. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, show them their need today. Help them to cry out to you today. And Lord, encourage the hearts of believers today. Lord, if if these vices are, are part of what's going on in our lives, Lord, help us to get rid of them. Help us to, uh, to, if we see that in the lives of other people, to lovingly come along beside them, taking the beam out of our own eye first before we deal with the speck and in a spirit of humility and grace, seek to restore that individual. Father, we long that this is a place where, where it's obvious that God is central. That what's going on here is not about who stands behind the pulpit or who leads the music or who serves in this position or that position. But the thing that's paramount in this place is you, our great triune God. It's about you. It's about you. I'm reminded of that great line by Marva Dawn in her book. She talks about worship wars and she says if it's really 
all about Jesus, then it doesn't really matter if we like it or not. And Father, I pray that you would help us to depend upon you and your grace, that we would crave it, that we would long for it. And Lord, that this would be a place where we continually point people to Christ. Lord, encourage the hearts of those that are here today. Strengthen them. And Lord, we are grateful again for who you are, for your work of grace in our lives. Never, ever, ever. Lord, allow us to lose our sense of gratitude and wonder and awe that you would love us. You would love me. You would love me. Father, help us to take that wonder and share it with those who, who you allow us to come in contact with. Protect our relationships here, Father. Not only with you, but with one another. Help us to nourish them, cherish them, guard them, and help us to grow in and by them. We ask you your blessings now as we close out this time of our worship. And we pray that you would use it for our good, for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an invitation because we're going to respond to God's Word today. God knows your heart. He knows what you need. The Scripture admonishes not to, not to forsake the assembling ourselves together. Part of the reason is so that we can encourage one another to love and to good works. That's what Peter's talking about here. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can call out to Him right now. If you do so, we'd love to talk with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to talk with you after the services. And if you're a believer here today, I don't know what your need is. Just allow the Spirit of God to be able to speak to your heart. This place should be a place that we love, that we cherish, that we protect the relationships that we have. Because we need one another. It's a place where we have a responsibility to fulfill this command together to crave for the pure spiritual milk. We're going to go to the Lord in a time of silence. And after a time of silence, we'll close.